Chapter Nine of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One, by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Nine. Though both not equal, as their sex not equal seemed, for contemplation he and valor formed, for softness she, and sweet attractive grace. Milton. "'What can have come over Lady Maclaughlan?' said Miss Grizzy, as she sat at the window in a dejected attitude. "'I think I hear a carriage at last,' cried Miss Jacky, turning up her ears. "'Whisht! Let us listen.' "'It's only the wind,' sighed Miss Grizzy. "'It's the cart with the bread,' said Miss Nicky. "'It's Lady Maclaughlan, I assure you,' pronounced Miss Jacky. The heavy rumble of a ponderous vehicle now proclaimed the approach of the expected visitor, which pleasing anticipation was soon changed into blissful certainty by the approach of a high-roofed, square-bottomed, pea-green chariot drawn by two long-tailed white horses, and followed by a lackey in the highland garb. Out of this equipage issued a figure, clothed in a light-colored, large-flowered chintz raiment, carefully drawn through the pocket-holes, either for its own preservation, or the more disinterested purpose of displaying a dark short stuffed petticoat which, with the same liberality, afforded ample scope for the survey of a pair of worsted stockings and black leather shoes, something resembling buckets. A faded red cloth jacket, which bore evident marks of having been severed from its native skirts, now acted in the capacity of a spencer. On the head, rose a stupendous fabric in the form of a cap, on the summit of which was placed a black beaver hat, tied a la posade. A small black satin muff in one hand, and a gold-headed walking-stick in the other, completed the dress and decoration of this personage. The lackey, meanwhile, advanced to the carriage, and putting in both his hands as if to catch so something, he pulled forth a small bundle, enveloped in a military cloak, the contents of which would have baffled conjecture, but for the large cocked hat and little booted leg which protruded at opposite extremities. A loud but slow and well-modulated voice now resounded through the narrow stone passage that conducted to the drawing-room. "'Bring him in! Bring him in, Philistine!' I always call my man Philistine, because he has Samson in his hands. "'Set him down there!' pointing to an easy chair as the group now entered, headed by Lady Maclaughlan. "'Well, girls,' addressing the venerable spinsters, as they severally exchanged a tender salute, "'so you're all alive, I see. Humph!' "'Dear Lady Maclaughlan, allow me to introduce our beloved niece, Lady Juliana Douglas,' said Miss Grizzy, leading her up, and bridling as she spoke with ill-suppressed exultation. "'So, you're very pretty. Yes, you are very pretty.' kissing the forehead, cheeks, and chin of the youthful beauty between every pause. Then holding her at arm's length, she surveyed her from head to foot with elevated brows and a broad fixed stare. "'Pray sit down, Lady Maclaughlan,' cried her three friends all at once, each tendering a chair. "'Sit down,' repeated she. "'Why, what should I sit down for?' "'I choose to stand. I don't like to sit. I never sit at home.' "'Do I, Sir Sampson?' "'Turning to the little warrior. 
who, having been seized with a violent fit of coughing on his entrance, had now sunk back, seemingly quite exhausted, while the Philistine was endeavouring to discumber him of his military accoutrement. "'How very distressing Sir Sampson's cough is,' said the sympathising Miss Grizzy. "'Distressing, child? No, it's not the least distressing. How can a thing be distressing that does no harm? He's much the better of it. It's the only exercise he gets.' "'Oh, well, indeed, if that's the case, it would be a thousand pities to stop it,' replied the accommodating spinster. "'No, it wouldn't be the least pity to stop it,' returned Lady Maclaughlan, in her loud authoritative tone, "'because though it's not distressing, it's very disagreeable. "'But it cannot be stopped. "'You might as well talk of stopping the wind. "'It is a cradle-cough. "'My dear Lady Maclaughlan,' screamed Sir Sampson in a shrill pipe "'as he made an effort to raise himself and rescue his cough from this aspersion.' How can you persist in saying so, when I have told you so often it proceeds entirely from a cold caught a few years ago, when I attended His Majesty at— Here a violent relapse carried the conclusion of the sentence along with it. Let him alone. Don't meddle with him, called his lady to the assiduous nymphs who were bustling around him. Leave him to Philistine. He's in very good hands when he is in Philistines. Then resting her chin upon the head of her stick— she resumed her scrutiny of Lady Juliana. "'You really are a pretty creature. You've got a very handsome nose, and your mouth's very well. But I don't like your eyes. They're too large and too light. They're saucer eyes, and I don't like saucer eyes. Why hain't you black eyes? You're not a bit like your father. I knew him very well. Your mother was an heiress. Your father married her for her money, and she married him to be a countess.' So that's the history of their marriage. <laughs> this well-bred harangue was delivered in an unvarying tone, and with unmoved muscles, for though the lady seldom failed of calling forth some conspicuous emotion, either of shame, mirth, or anger on the countenances of her hearers, she had never been known to betray any correspondent feelings on her own. Yet her features were finely formed, marked, and expressive, and in spite of her ridiculous dress and eccentric manners, an air of dignity was diffused over her whole person that screened her from the ridicule to which she must otherwise have been exposed. Amazement at the uncouth garb and singular address of Lady Maclaughlan was seldom unmixed with terror at the stern, imperious manner that accompanied all her actions. Such were the feelings of Lady Juliana as she remained subjected to her rude gaze and impertinent remarks. "'My lady,' squeaked Sir Sampson from forth his easy-chair. "'My love,' interrogated his lady as she leant upon her stick, "'I want to be introduced to my lady Juliana Douglas. "'So give me your hand,' attempting at the same time "'to emerge from the huge leathern receptacle "'into which he had been plunged by the care of the kind sisters. "'Oh, pray sit still, dear Sir Sampson,' cried they as usual all at once. "'Our sweet niece will come to you.' "'Don't take the trouble to rise. Pray don't,' each putting a hand on this man of might, as he was half-risen, and pushing him down. "'Aye, come here, my dear,' said Lady Maclaughlan. "'You're abler to walk to Sir Sampson than he to you,' pulling Lady Juliana in front of the easy-chair. "'There, that's her. You see, she is very pretty.' "'Thones, what is the meaning of all this?' screamed the enraged baronet. 
My Lady Juliana Douglas, I am shocked beyond expression at this freedom of my ladies. I beg your ladyship ten thousand pardons. Pray be seated. I'm shocked. I'm ready to faint at the impropriety of this introduction, so contrary to all rules of etiquette. How could you behave in such a manner, my Lady Maclaughlan? Why, you know, my dear, your legs may be very good legs, but they can't walk, replied she, with her usual sang-froid. My Lady Maclaughlan, you perfectly confound me, stuttering with rage. My Lady Juliana Douglas, see here, stretching out a meagre shank, to which not even the military boot and large spur could give a respectable appearance. You see that leg, strong and straight, stroking it down? Now behold the fate of war, dragging forward the other which was shrunk and shriveled to almost one half its original dimensions. These legs were once the same, but I repine not, I sacrificed it in a noble cause. To that leg my sovereign owes his life. Well, I declare I had no idea. I thought always it had been rheumatism, burst from the lips of the astonished spinsters, as they crowded round the illustrious limb, and regarded it with looks of veneration. Humph! emphatically uttered his lady. The story's a simple one, ladies, and soon told. I happened to be attending his majesty at a review. I was then aide-de-camp to Lord... His horse took fright. I, I, I... Here, in spite of all the efforts that could be made to suppress it, the royal cough burst forth with a violence that threatened to silence its brave owner forever. "'It's very strange you will talk, my love,' said his sympathizing lady as she supported him. "'Talking never did, nor never will, agree with you. It's very strange what pleasure people take in talking. Humph!' "'Is there anything dear Sir Samson could take?' asked Miss Grizzy. "'Could take?' I don't know what you mean by could take. He couldn't take the moon, if you meant that. But he must take what I give him. So call Philistine. He knows where my cough tincture is. Oh, we have plenty of it in this press, said Miss Grizzy, flying to a cupboard. And, drawing forth a bottle, she poured out a bumper and presented it to Sir Sampson. I'm poisoned, gasped he feebly. That's not my lady's cough tincture. "'Not cough tincture,' repeated the horror-struck doctress, as for the first time she examined the label. "'Oh, I declare. Neither it is. It's my own stomach lotion. Bless me, what will be done?' And she wrung her hands in despair. "'Oh, Murdoch,' flying to the Philistine, as he entered with the real cough tincture, "'I've given Sir Samson a dose of my own stomach lotion by mistake, and I am terrified for the consequences.' Oh, but her need na be feared. Her will no be a hair the war out. For hers would not take the fee-sick that the lady ordered her yestereen. Well, I declare things are wisely ordered, observed Miss Grizzy. In that case, it may do, dear Sir Sampson, a great deal of good. Just as this pleasing idea was suggested, Douglas and his father entered. And the ceremony of presenting her nephew to her friend was performed by Miss Grizzy in her most conciliating manner. Dear Lady Maclaughlan, this is our nephew Henry, who, I know, has the highest veneration for Sir Sampson and you. Henry, I assure you, Lady Maclaughlan takes the greatest interest in everything that concerns Lady Juliana and you. Humph! rejoined her ladyship, as she surveyed him from head to foot. So your wife fell in love with you, it seems. Well, the more fool she. I never knew any good to come of love marriages. 
Douglas colored, while he affected to laugh at this extraordinary address, and withdrawing himself from her scrutiny, resumed his station by the side of his Juliana. Now, girls, I must go to my toilette. Which of you am I to have for my handmaid? Oh, we'll all go, eagerly exclaimed the three nymphs. Our dear niece will excuse us for a little. Young people are never at a loss to amuse one another. Venus and the graces, by Jove, exclaimed Sir Sampson, bowing with an air of gallantry. And now I must go and adonize a little myself. The company then separated to perform the important offices of the toilette. End of chapter 9 Recording by Patty Cunningham